Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to go ahead and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. We have some ground to cover today as we cover this chapter together. We are back in our study through the series uh, through Nehemiah that we've called Rebuild. And we've hit a moment in our text where things are about to get really serious uh, for us. And so we've gotten to the point in the text where I believe we've ultimately hit the central truth and the heart of the entire book of Nehemiah. In fact, I'm a firm believer that everything that happens from this point forward in Nehemiah points us back to Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, I don't know what your weekend has been like, but if I could take a moment and share a little bit about my weekend. Uh, My oldest turned 11 uh, this weekend, and if you have a family like ours, you probably quickly realize that birthdays uh, aren't just a single day, um, unless you're getting a little bit up in age like I am. I just kind of breeze past my birthday, but when you have children, uh, birthdays uh, tend to turn more into a celebration, if you will. And so since Thursday, we have been celebrating my oldest daughter. We had a little family dinner birthday that we did for her then. On Friday, we uh, busted out the fire pit in the front yard and just sat there and told stories and roasted s'mores, something I never thought I would do in the state of Florida, but it was cold enough to do. And then on Saturday, I somehow got wrangled into going with my daughter and her sisters and several of her little friends who were also all girls to a theme park all day. And so after chasing around uh, while they disappeared and rode rides and had a good time, I ended up chasing around my three-year-old and five-year-old for the entire day. And uh, I think I have met my quota of steps for the next three months. And so naturally today, uh, when I woke up this morning and it was cloudy and cold and raining, I naturally thought, wow, what a great day to sleep in. How many of you had that thought today? I bet, yes, you, all right, well, now the altar is open, come down and repent. <laughs> that was great, that was wonderful. People raise their hands immediately, like, amen, pastor, I'm with you on that. So, wow, that's good, okay, I didn't know how that story was going to go over, but it went over well. So, anyway, um, I tell you, I don't know what it was like for you this morning, but it was a struggle to get up and to get going this morning um, with the weather and the lack of energy and the lack of sleep, and, and I mean, it was just, it was incredibly difficult. Now, Um, I don't know about you, but maybe it wasn't all the celebrations and the weather. Maybe this week has been a struggle for you. And so today was exceptionally hard to get up. Maybe this week has not been the greatest week. Maybe there was change in your life. Maybe there was conversations that took place that you never thought you'd ever have. Maybe there was diagnosis of, of your family members or friends that you heard this week that you never dreamt or imagined would ever happen. Maybe there's been an all of a sudden life change that just came out of nowhere that you didn't expect. And so all of a sudden on Sunday morning, the day that we gather for worship, in the midst of the cold and the rain, realizing you were still in your warm bed, you thought, not today. Not today. I just don't have the energy. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had those days where it was a struggle just to get out of bed. I've had those days where I sat down and asked myself, why am I even going to church? Why am I a member of a local church? Why do I voluntarily sacrifice time in order to go be with a bunch of people that I'm not sure I actually like, but I tell them I love them and I'm praying for them all the time? 
Don't raise your hand if that's you. That's not confession time, okay? But have you had those moments? Have you had the moment where you had to stop for a moment and say, why am I here? Why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I going to church? Why am I a part of a local church body? You know, maybe you've taken it a step further and you said, you know, I keep telling people I'm a Christian, but I didn't imagine being a Christian would be so much of a struggle. I didn't imagine being a Christian would all of a sudden cause me to lose family members or lose friends. I didn't realize that all of a sudden becoming a Christian meant that even on the days where I want to be frustrated and throw things, that's probably not the best way to handle those moments. I mean, why am I even a a Christian to begin with? And then with those thoughts, we start thinking, well, then... As a Christian, what do, I, what do I even stand for? When I see battles raged all around me, whether they're in the political arena, the media arena, the sports arena, what am I battling for? What am I fighting for? What is, what is the ultimate cause of what I do and believe in as, as a Christian? Or better yet, as a member of a church, what is the cause that I ultimately stand for? Or maybe the better question is this, as a Christian, and we start thinking about Jesus Christ, have you ever stopped for a moment on a cold, rainy day and asked this question of yourself, who is it that I truly stand for? Who is it that I truly fight for? You see, i got to tell you, as a a church in the United States, I believe we've lost sight of our passion and our vision. I believe as a church in the United States, we've allowed the issues of the day to muddy our thoughts and cloud our minds. And I'm beginning to wonder, have we as a church in the United States lost sight of what should be truly important to us in a time where we allow our politics to drive our emotions? In a time where we allow a select few in another city, not even remotely close to ours, drive our passions and our desires and even our frustrations and our angers, have we allowed those moments to make us forget why we are here? Have we allowed those moments to make us forget the gospel? Even in our own lives, within our own families, and in the midst of our own frustrations of being a family together, even in those moments, have we allowed those moments to cloud our vision so much that we can no longer see the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ clearly? You see, if that's you today, and I believe, honestly, that's all of us at some point, Nehemiah, by the glory of God, has a word. us. You see, he has a word for us today when it comes to the response of God's people when it comes to your vision, your focus, and the clarity of why we do what it is that we do. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you now to join me as we read Nehemiah chapter 4. And once you get there, if you would go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we read Nehemiah's words on remembering the Lord. Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 4, says this, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, He was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. 
And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, (laughs) if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know nor see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at the same time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for your truth and we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that in these next few moments as we study your, your word, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, our mind, our eyes, and our ears to your truth. And God, 
through this text, may you and you alone be glorified. Father, today may we remember you, our great and awesome God. Lord, we love you. And we pray that you would just be with us now as we continue to worship you through the study of your word. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, we can clearly see, according to Nehemiah, that the work is now well underway. And so with the Israelites in Jerusalem, um, they are working hard, and the walls and the gates are starting to come together. And so what happens is word is now traveling around about what God's people are doing and how they're doing it both successfully and effectively when it comes to rebuilding the city, the gates, and the walls. Everything is coming together according to the vision, purpose, and plan that God gave to Nehemiah. In fact, with every passing day, Nehemiah and the nation of Israel are praising God together, and they are getting closer to the goal that God had set before them. So when you go back and read Nehemiah chapter 3, we again see the response of the people of God as they start the work, and then they do the work. They continue the work here in Nehemiah chapter 4, but it's in Nehemiah chapter 4 that all of a sudden we see the enemies and the words of the enemies of God begin to come, and we see how it takes its toll upon the people. And so this is where we find ourselves with Nehemiah today. In fact, in verse 1, he reminds us that when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, it was Sanballat and Tobiah who were angry and greatly enraged. So in other words, when Sanballat and Tobiah had received word of the work, they were not happy at first, which is what we learn in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. But now that they see the work is beginning to come together, they are now angry about the work. And the reason why they're angry is because they are seeking to exploit the weaknesses of the Jews, the weaknesses of the city of Jerusalem, and the vulnerability of the people there for their own personal profit. However, when Nehemiah comes on the scene, it is Nehemiah who flips the script on them, and he is seeking the good and the welfare of all people who call Jerusalem home. And so what Nehemiah has done is he has thrown a wrench into the plans of Sanballat and Tobiah. In fact, when we read verse 2 and 3, we see Sanballat and Tobiah seek to continue to maintain their advantage over the Jews by bullying them. They look upon the Jews and they say of them, you are pathetic. They then call into question whether or not the Jews will be successful in their work. And then they take it a step further and they begin to mock the efforts of the work. Now notice what's happening here. You see, this response of Sanballat and Tobiah, these enemies of God, this should not surprise us. It didn't surprise Nehemiah during his day, and it shouldn't surprise us today when people insult, mock, and ridicule the work of God's people through God's church. In fact, this is exactly what God said would happen to all of his people throughout the generations. 
And so Nehemiah was not surprised by their words, nor should we be surprised when insults come our way when it comes to doing the work of God. In fact, in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, we read these words. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? You see, the psalmist here recognizes that there will be a time where peoples will come. Not just one particular people group or one type of people, but peoples from all walks of life. They will come, and then when they come, they will begin to insult and ridicule and mock the work of God's people. And when they come, they will not only come to insult and mock, but they will come with the purpose of thwarting the plan of God. But you see, according to God, this is not new. Again, if you look at Psalm 2, you only have to go down two verses to verse 4, and you see God's response. He says, He, He being God, according to the psalmist, who sits in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. You see, when it comes to mocking the plan of God, when it comes to trying to thwart the will of God, God is seated upon his throne and he is looking down at what um, I imagine in his eyes would be about the size of an ant and he laughs at it. And he says, who is this that's trying to stop the will of God? And then he clearly allows those who want to stop the will of God to remain in their confusion. Now notice God did not respond insult to insult. Rather, he laughs in this moment. He allows the peoples to remain in their confusion because it is God who already knows who will be victorious. You see, Nehemiah recognized this as well. And so we get into verse 4 and 5 of Nehemiah chapter 4, and we see Nehemiah praying. He prays to God. Notice Nehemiah does not insult back. Notice that Nehemiah does not argue with Sambalot or Tobiah. Notice that Nehemiah doesn't all of a say, okay, you want to pick on me? I'm going to pick right back. And he doesn't start a fight that no one will win. Ultimately, what he does is he prays to God. He calls to God for God to conquer his enemies. He calls for God to do justice against their sin. He calls for God to Uh, triumph over the enemy. You see, there is nothing wrong, according to Nehemiah, with praying for God to uphold justice against those who oppose him. In fact, this Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, in Jesus' own words, we read this. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now notice, It's not loving nor Christ-like to pray for evil to fall upon someone. It's not loving nor Christ-like to pray for someone to continue in their sin in order to avoid the truth of God's justice until it's too late. It's not loving nor Christ-like for the believer today to say, I don't really agree with that person. I don't really like that person. So God, if you could just destroy them, then may it be so. It is not loving or Christ-like of us as believers in Christ 
to say of other people, God, keep them in their confusion so that they will never know you, so I don't ever have to see them again when I get in your glory. Praise be to God. Amen. Hallelujah. No. That's not what God calls us to. That's not how Nehemiah prays. Rather, when we pray for people, we should pray that God would deliver someone. We should pray that God would deliver our enemies from his or her evil by means of the revelation of his justice against them. In other words, we should pray that the justice of God will either lead people to salvation or it will ultimately lead them to eternal separation apart from God. And so we should pray that God in his justice, we should pray that God in his wisdom, we should pray that God in his mercy would call people to conviction for their unrepentant sin before it is too late. You know, too often times I hear people say this, and it's not just non-Christians, it's Christians as well. They say things like, well, when I stand before God, I'll ask him about it then. Or, you know what, I know I'm committing this sin, but when I stand before God, we'll discuss it then. Let me tell you something. If you know someone in your life who is that way, or you yourself in your own life are that way, let me assure you that according to the word of God, if you truly believe that you're going to stand before God and have some sort of, con- some sort of conversation where you're going to work out some sort of compromise with him, it's not going to work. It's too late at that point. That opportunity doesn't exist. And so as believers, we need to pray, just as Nehemiah did, for God's justice to lead people to repentance of their sin. You know, I'm amazed as a pastor, the many conversations that I get to have and the many that I don't have where people say, I don't believe I can ever tell my pastor or any pastors about this situation. I'm amazed by that because it concerns me. And I'm going to tell you why. Wouldn't you rather your pastor know than to sit there and bottle it up and then wait and deal with it with God? Because here's the truth. God already sees. God already knows shouldn't we be getting it right now as opposed to waiting when we are kneeled before the throne of God, saying, well, God, now I see you, now I believe in you, now I want to work this through. That's not how it works. That's not at all how it works. So as believers in Christ, we need to be about the business of praying for people. We need to be about the business of praying for justice for people. You know, when you take a look at what's happened recently in our cultural climate, we see a decision made by the politicians in New York. And I don't know about you, but we've all grieved the the vote that took place and, and the decisions that was made. But here's what concerned me individually. In the midst of our grief and our concern for the voiceless children who will perish, how many of us have prayed? And not prayed for New York to be removed. But how many of us have prayed for the hearts of the people of New York? How many of us have prayed for God's spirit to fall 
upon New York and for God's justice to invade the hearts of those who don't know them. How many of us have prayed for our missionaries and our church planners in New York who were doing their best according to the will of God to faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? You see, we need to be people of prayer. And we need to pray that God will call people back to repentance. Now, notice what happens in verse 6. We see that the work resumes. Now, again, Nehemiah could have responded in a variety of ways. But notice that Nehemiah simply trusts God and he is determined to stay focused on the task. You see, for us today as a church, we don't need to get distracted by what's happening around us. We don't need to get distracted by getting into petty arguments or we don't need to get distracted about uh, fighting battles that are just simply unnecessary. Rather, what we need to do is we need to focus on the kingdom work that we have been called to both here in our local church and our local community and all over this country and all over the world. We need to dial in to what it is that God is doing here and how God is working before us. Don't become the type of Christian who sits there and says, well, God is coming back. One day, Jesus is going to come, so I'm going to sit by and do nothing. No, Jesus has called us to be people of prayer. Jesus has called us to be servants of the Most High God. Jesus has still called us to the work that needs to be done. How are we doing at staying focused on the task that God has given us? Now we get into verses 7 through 14, and here we see Sanballat and Tobiah. After hearing that Nehemiah has resumed the work, they become furious. They become enraged at what Nehemiah is doing. And so what they do is they plot an attack against Nehemiah and the people as a response to the people and the work. And so what does Nehemiah do? They continue to pray and they continue to work. But notice what happens. In verse 10, it says that the people that Nehemiah was working with have become discouraged by the massive amount of work that is taking place and the, amount, and the massive amount of work that still needs to be done. In verse 11, we see the enemy is now terrifying the people by threatening a night attack against them. In verse 12, we see that the Jews outside of the city have now come ten times to call the people to flee the city. And so what's happened is the people that Nehemiah is working with, they are beginning to flounder from the, uh, the mass amount of work. They are beginning to worry about the impending attack and they are beginning to get away from the will of God and begin listening to all those who are telling them to bail out. You see, as a church... That should sound familiar to us today. You see, when God is doing a work in the church, we will see that the work is incredible. We will see that the work is more than we could have ever asked, dreamt, or imagined. And it could become frustrating. When God is moving, we will see the attacks come. 
The attacks will come from within the church. The attacks will come from within the community. The attacks will come from other churches. The attacks will come within our own families. The attacks will come, and notice it says that they're going to attack at night, meaning this, it's probably going to be something you never saw coming nor even expected. And then on top of that, when God is moving and working, we will wonder why we are still here. We will begin to question, why am I part of this? We will begin to say of one another, why does God still have me here doing this work? You see, we today here at Southside Baptist Church, we are very similar to the Israelites in Nehemiah's day. But notice Nehemiah's response in verse 13 and 14. As a church, as a faith family, when you begin to question the call, when you begin to question the work, notice the response. Nehemiah restations the guard at the wall, and then he gives us the heart and the central truth of the entire book of Nehemiah. And it's found in verse 14 when he says this, And I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, your wives, and fight for your homes. You see, Nehemiah tells the people to not be afraid. He tells the people to remember the Lord. In other words, this remembrance, according to Nehemiah, is to remind the Israelites and us today as a church of why we do what we do. It is why we are the church. Remembering the Lord is why we serve. It's why we connect. It's why we work. It's why we are rebuilding. And that reason is because the Lord is great and awesome. You see, Nehemiah calls the people to stand next to those they care deeply about and to remember the greatness and awesomeness of the Lord. But don't miss the point here. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here to simply protect one another. We're not here to, to wall up and keep the world out. No, we do what we do because of the Lord. We faithfully serve because of the Lord. We faithfully work because of the Lord. Do we have work to do? Yes. Do we have a lot of work to do in this place? Yes, absolutely. But we do what we do, not for ourselves or for our own glory, but for the Lord. You see, in church or in ministry or in missions or in service, we cannot be about ourselves. It has to be about others coming to know the Lord and coming to the kingdom of God. And you see, when Nehemiah says this, to remember the Lord, he is saying that as believers, we are to fill our minds with God's greatness. We are to fill our mouths with prayer. We are to fill our hearts with worship. We are to flee from temptation. We are to recognize sin in our lives and by the grace of God, crush it. We are to fight the good fight. We are to serve others. We are to set our minds on Christ 
in worship, and then we are to be bold in sharing our faith. That is the foundational call and principle of the local church. You see, we need to realize when we remember the Lord, we have God on our side. We have, according to Jeremiah, we have the dreaded warrior. We have the champion standing with us. And so as believers, we serve a cause worth more than our own lives. We can and should be willing to lay down our lives ferociously for the truth of the word and for the church. Now, again, we get into verse 15 through 20. And once again, God does what God does. He frustrates the plan of the enemy of God. You see, the same thing happens throughout scriptures. When the enemy tries to rise up against God, God frustrates the plan. In fact, the same thing happens when the world thought it had rid itself of Jesus Christ at the crucifixion. Little did they know that three days later, he would rise from the dead. And boy, what a problem the world had at that moment. Fast forward into Paul's ministry, and we see the same thing happened as Paul is cornered and as Paul is imprisoned, and yet by the grace and will of God, according to God's plan, God's purpose, God's provision, and his ultimate will for Paul, it was Paul who would escape. In fact, when we read Job chapter 42, verse 2, listen to what Job says of God. He says, of God, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can ever be thwarted. You see, nothing can stop the will of God. As a church, we are a representation of God's purpose. As a church, we are a representation of the will of God. As a church, we are the physical manifestation and representation of the victory that can be found in God through Jesus Christ. You see, we are the victory marker. We represent the victory that can be found in Christ and therefore why we should always remember the Lord when we come into this place. But now notice what happens with Nehemiah here. Nehemiah is not done. We see that all of a sudden in these passages that a trumpeter is standing beside Nehemiah. And so with that, Nehemiah is letting us in on his plan to be on the scene if ever a crisis arose. You see, for Nehemiah, there was no backing down. For Nehemiah, there was no hiding away. For Nehemiah, he wanted to be right in the middle of the work, fully committed to the vision and plan that God had given to him. In fact, when you get into verse 21 and 23, we see an incredible picture of leadership for those who remember the Lord. Notice it was Nehemiah here in these passages that was not using the people for his own personal ambition. No, rather Nehemiah was willing to faithfully serve beside the people. He was willing to lay down his own life for a cause that was bigger than his own personal motivations and his own reputation. It was Nehemiah, the great leader, who stood and worked with the people in order to motivate them 
them and to remind them of the greatness of God. This is why Nehemiah stayed. This is why Nehemiah worked. This is why Nehemiah carried a weapon. And this is why Nehemiah reminded the people that God would always fight for them in verse 20. You see, as Christians, we are called to be leaders. Now, in the church, we need servant leaders in the church. We need people who are going to faithfully lead by example. But as Christians, we are called to be leaders in our community. We are called to be leaders in our schools. We are called to be leaders in our workplaces. We are called to be leaders throughout our city, throughout our state, and all over this country and throughout the world. We are called by God to be leaders because we are called by God to make a kingdom impact. You see, as a leader... Just as Nehemiah points out to us, a leader is someone who is willing to be on the front lines of the work of the kingdom. A leader like Nehemiah is someone who recognizes that we serve a greater purpose than our own individual lives. In fact, it wasn't that long ago, I remember sitting down as as a pastor with a military chaplain, a chaplain who had already served uh, several tours over in the Middle East. And he was giving us a talk on leadership. And I thought, man, I can't think of a better person to learn leadership from than from a military chaplain who had been on the front line. Now, I had no idea what his job entailed until he shared with us that day. But I was blown away by the last thing he said to us. He asked each of us, do you want to be a leader? And we said, yes. And he said this, well, then let me tell you how you can be a great leader. You see, great leaders always lead from the front. You see, if we're going to be leaders, we need to be on the front lines. If we want to be great leaders, we're not called to sit back and allow everybody else to do the work. No, we need to be like Nehemiah and roll up our sleeves and begin building as well. If we're going to be great leaders like Nehemiah, we need to be willing to not only help with the build, we need to also carry our weapon with us, knowing that we are going to be called upon when the attacks come. If we are to be great leaders like Nehemiah, then we have to be willing to lay aside our own personal ambitions in order to faithfully serve God and to live out his will by both word and action. You see, Nehemiah recognized, and we should too today, we are all called to be great leaders. And great leaders always remember the Lord. So you see, the question for us today is, like Nehemiah, do we live for a cause that is greater than ourselves? Are we willing to lay down our lives, lay down our own goals, our own ambitions, our own dreams for the ones we love? Are we willing to lay aside our own personal moments in order to point others to the kingdom of God? Do we lead by example and fix our minds on Christ? Or are we too focused on the distractions of the world? You see, if we truly know God as he is, then we will be enraptured by him. If we truly know God as he is, we will be ready to do whatever it is he has called us to do. Are we ready to faithfully follow God? 
when the attacks come. And they will come. Maybe this dreary day has just been a cold, rainy day for you. Trust me when I say, when the Spirit of God begins to move in your life, I promise the attacks will come. When the Spirit of God is moving in your church, I promise you are not immune to the attacks. They will come. And so when they come, how will we respond? If we are to rebuild, then we are to focus on the task. We are to bathe the work in prayer, and we are to prepare our hands for work. If we are to rebuild, then let us remember the Lord, the great and awesome one. Remember the Lord. No matter what happens today, what happens this week, wherever God may call us, let us always remember the Lord. Let's pray together.